the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Do you get the impression that Peter's a little bit of a rule follower? I mean, he probably is one of those guys that never jaywalks unless no one is looking, and then he sprints across the street. He probably loves to play board games, even though no one else likes to play with him. He would certainly pull a building permit when doing a home renovation. He maybe even is scared to take off the tag on the mattress, <laughs> even when it's clearly meant to be removed. He is the rule follower, which is why he has this weird dream about animals and birds and what he can eat. Now, we probably need to go back a little bit to some of the, the Jewish history. You might recall there were lots of rules. Rules about not eating animals with wings that had four feet, unless they were locusts and katydids and crickets. You're allowed to eat those. Delicious. You certainly were not supposed to eat reptiles probably wouldn't do well in New Orleans. There are lots of specific laws. Now, it's important also to remember that the Jewish people were faithful by their adherence to the laws. It wasn't just suggestions for the best way to live, but it was their way of life. They had to define things as clean or unclean. You couldn't eat camel or rabbits or pig. Couples were unclean from time to time, too. What does it mean to be unclean? I think a, probably a, a better translation to the Jewish people was impure. It was impacting their relationship with God. So they couldn't eat animals, they couldn't interact with things that weren't clean because it changed their ability to, to be in relationship with God. They had to maintain purity to be connected. So they had all these rules and these structures that impacted their faith life. And maybe that sounds okay, but think about it like this. Be careful who you're friends with. You better go to the right church. What does the neighborhood where you live say about your life? What about the places that you hang out? You better have it all together if you want to know God. That seems to be the implied structure. Now, rules are good, right? Rules, they keep us safe and they give us boundaries and all of that. But it's interesting that Peter, the rule follower, hears this revelation that is such um, a profound acknowledgement. 
What God has made clean, you must not call profane. I mean, think about that. Everything that he had been told was unclean and impure. Everything was now a possibility. We also heard in the epistle this image that Christ has made all things new. Everything, everything is new and with possibility. Now, I want to tell you all what happened last week because it's going to happen again at 9 o'clock. We invited our second through fourth graders to do um, a communion class back in April. And um, so it's a larger group because we haven't been able to do this for a few years. So um, we still have 10 or so, 11 um, chalices on the altar for those that couldn't be here last week. So we invited all of the young people up to the altar that had gone through this class at 9 o'clock. And there were enough of them, for those of you who are here will remember this, that they were gathered all the way around the altar. There were two or three that were in front of the altars with their backs facing the congregation. Now, what happens when you put a bunch of second through fourth graders in front of a crowd of people? I'm betting there's some nervous, anxious bodies. Now, let's, let's go back a moment. Now, one of the things we talk about in purity and all those laws, they probably had practical purposes too. Somebody's probably eaten some barbecue that was left in the fridge too long and it wasn't a pleasant experience, I'm guessing. If you have shellfish that's been out for several days, you're going to get sick. So you have laws about purity because it also keeps you safe, right? You've got to hold on to that moment. So the young people are gathered up here and we're doing the Eucharistic prayer. And you've got the kind of playing with the tassels. Everybody's getting a little bit nervous. There are arms and elbows up on the altar. How many of y'all were like, that's why we don't let kids up there? Somebody thought it. (laughs) We're all getting nervous. Now, I think it was at the 11.15 when we had people, another young person steps on the torch stick and it falls this way and Carpenter does this miraculous grab. Once again, this is why we don't let children up into the sanctuary. There's, there's rules, right? And everybody is nervous. And then what happens? The kids are dancing, the dance moves, the feet tapping, the twirling. I'm anxious myself. And the Lord's prayer is said, and all of a sudden, the squirmiest of the young people takes her hands, clasps them together, places her elbows on the altar, and teaches every one of us what it means to worship. We're all distracted. Probably like y'all are this morning, 
coming here with a million things on your mind. And a second grader teaches us how to worship. When we've had all these rules about not having people up there and who can have their arms on the altar. When we're open to possibility. God does something amazing. I struck, yesterday was a pretty special day at St. Stephen's, um, really for the clergy of the Diocese of Alabama. The presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church was here, Michael Curry, who we pray for um, every Sunday, and the in charge of the entire Episcopal Church of the United States, including South America and part of Europe. And he's here at St. Stephen's speaking um, to the clergy and then a three-hour revival at Birmingham Southern. We, if you can believe this, Episcopalians have revivals. Um, uh, beautiful. But the theme they used, the theme that they used for the revival and some of what was talked about yesterday was the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, she's a Samaritan, so she's already not in the good graces of the Jewish people and, and usually used as an example of what not to be. Um, you may remember that story that she has had several different marriages, which may be more a commentary on the system than it is on her, but we somehow make it about her. She's going to the well at the middle of the day, at the hottest part of the day. Another thing that kind of jogs our mind about the power of shame. She's not the example of who we're supposed to be, or that's what you're kind of led to at the beginning of the story. And Jesus invites her to share in that living water that will give her life. Here is this woman who has been cast out of society, and she's the example of the invitation to life. Here's the thing that is kind of mind-blowing about our faith, about what it means to follow Jesus. We get so wrapped up in rules and doing everything right. We get so wrapped up, I mean, even in our lives, we find our camps to get into with the boundaries and, 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 and principles to follow. And yet we come here on Sunday to find life. And it actually has no rules. I mean, think about it. Jesus goes out with lepers, the people that are unclean, and he heals them. He hangs out with sinners and prostitutes and finds community. He fights us. I mean, we hear it in the gospel today, the one thing, is <laughs> love one another. Just love one another, and my kingdom will be made manifest. It is that simple. To be open to possibility to throw out the rules, to let children lead us, to be surprised when we include people that we didn't think we should include. Because who knows 
what God could be saying. Amen.